What's up, Donuts? I wanted to just get on here a little bit early and give you a warning about the brutality of this crime. The violence in this episode involves a pregnant woman and mentioning of miscarriages and molestation, and that can be triggering to some people. Also, I wanted to give you a spoiler alert. The baby actually survived, so listener discretion is advised. Happy Friday, Donuts. Welcome to another episode of Fried Dough, your weekly fix of true crime. I'm your girl, Gina, and I'm very excited to have you here with me today. On every episode, I want to always remind listeners that the stories that I cover on this podcast may be difficult to hear. However, it is very important to shine a light on these cases and remember the victims who was affected. This is Fried Dough, true crime podcast, and this is the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett. On December 16, 2004, at 3.38 p.m., a 911 call came into Nidaway County Call Center. 911, what's your emergency? On the other end of the phone line, it was Becky Harper, Bobby Joe's mother. Becky was at Bobby Joe's house. She was screaming uncontrollably into the phone. She just found her daughter's bloody, lifeless body in the back room of, a, of the home that she shared with her husband, Zeb, in a room you normally use for the puppy kennel. When the 911 operator asked Becky what happened, Becky said, and I quote, she was eight months pregnant and it looked as if her stomach exploded or something. Bobby Joe, born December 4th, 1981, to mother Becky, and I couldn't find the father's name, in a small town of Skidmore, Missouri. Growing up, Bobby Joe loved animals and particularly horses and dogs. She was a very good student. She went to Nottaway Holt High School. She was an honor student. She was a cheerleader. She was on the 4-H club and, a, and she was on the yearbook committee. In April 2003, Bobby Joe and Zeb married on the 26th in April in that month. On the, in the same month, Zeb got Bobby Joe a job working with him at the Kawasaki plant where he'd been working since they both graduated in, two, in the year 2000. 23-year-old Bobby Joe was just barely pregnant when she met a woman named Lisa Montgomery at a dog show in Kansas. Both women were showing rat terrier dogs in the springtime of 2004. Actually, it was April 2004. Bobby Joe and Lisa chatted a bit and both realized that they were both members of an online message board called Ratter Chatter. Now, Ratter Chatter was a group that was all about rat terrier dogs. The women started exchanging messages and discovered that they both were pregnant. But the problem was Lisa wasn't pregnant, but she desperately wanted to be. So when Lisa met Bobby Joe, she began to tell her family and friends, as well as online community, that she was expecting. Lisa's husband, Kevin, and her four children all believed that Lisa was with child. 
she told them that she took a home pregnancy test and she started wearing maternity clothes, but she never went to the clinic. However, what Kevin and the children did not know about Lisa was that 10 years earlier in 1990, Lisa had her tubes tied and was unable to conceive no longer. Lisa left her home in Melbourne, Kansas at about noon in order to make the three-hour drive to Bobby Joe's house. With her, she took a bundle of rope, several blankets and towels, and a home birthing kit. She arrived at Bobby Joe's home at around 2 p.m. Lisa pulled up at the same time that Bobby Joe was on the phone with her mom. Bobby Joe was expecting a prospective client on the afternoon of Thursday, December 16, 2004. She was home that day because she had already started her maternity leave from the Kawasaki plant. She had been home for a few weeks, in fact, but because breeding dogs was their side job, Bobby Joe was technically still working. She was preparing to sell one or all of her rat terrier puppies. As Bobby Joe chatted with her mom, she saw a car pull up in the driveway and told her mom, oh, they're here. I've got to go. And she hung up. It's not clear if Bobby Joe recognized the person at the door to be Lisa Montgomery or not. However, Bobby Joe was comfortable enough to turn her back to her and walk her through her home all the way back by the kennel. Once they were further into the house, at the back of the house, Lisa pulled out the rope she brought with her out of her coat and started strangling Bobby Joe from behind. Once Bobby Joe stopped moving, Lisa eased her to the floor. Chris Law was a neighbor of Bobby Joe, and that day he wanted to pay her a visit. He wanted to ask her about her doctor's appointment that she had earlier that day. In a town this small, everyone focused on the expected mothers. But he saw a red car in her driveway and he felt that he wanted to be a good neighbor and not disturb her and allow her to entertain her guests. When he got to his car, he had another nagging thought that he should go and visit Bobby Joe. However, he figured that he was just being paranoid for nothing, so he went on about his errands. Now, no one was there to watch the house. A short time later, Becky walked over to Bobby Joe's house. Since it was only a few blocks away, Becky thought that it was kind of odd that she hadn't heard back from Bobby Joe. When she arrived at the house, the front door was standing wide open, which was kind of strange because it was freezing that day with the temperatures being in the mid-30 degrees. Walking inside, Becky called out to Bobby Joe, but there was no response. Almost immediately upon entering the house, Becky saw what no parent should ever see. She saw Bobby Joe in a pool of blood, and then she called 911. Sheriff Ben Espy was at the call center in Maryville when Becky's frantic call shattered the peace and quiet of the afternoon. He jumped in his trunk and made the 30-minute trip in under 14 minutes. He was the first responder on the scene. He took over CPR. Medics were quickly on the scene and found Becky and Sheriff Espy performing CPR, and they took over. But there was too much blood. Bobby Joe was declared dead on arrival at St. Francis Hospital Health Services in Maryville. When medics noticed the umbilical cord was cut, they pointed it out to Sheriff Ben Espy. 
With that, he knew that Bobby Joe was murdered and her baby was taken. But because they thought that the baby still was likely to be alive, it could be suffering because it was such a violent and horrific situation of a birth. They needed the public's help. They needed an Amber Alert for the child. Sheriff Espy contacted Jefferson City Police Department and the FBI for an Amber Alert. But when they asked him to describe the baby, the hair color, the size, the skin color, eye color, weight, Espy couldn't answer any of those questions. So they told him there was nothing that they can do to help him. It didn't fit the Amber Alert criteria for the state. But Sheriff Espy didn't take no for an answer. He started lobbying the local congressmen, calling them at home, namely Sam Graves, pleading with him for his help and told him everything what happened and told him that he had to make this happen. So December 17th at 1245 a.m., an Amber Alert was issued for the baby, which is notable because this was the first known Amber Alert to be issued for a fetus. But at that precise time, it was unknown that if the baby was still alive or not. So back at the house, investigators quickly concluded that Bobby was attacked inside her home between the hours of 1230 and 3 p.m. because they found zero indication of forced entry. Police took the family computer for forensic investigation, and it was there that the first usable piece of evidence was found. They found emails between Bobby Joe and a Darlene Fisher and that they had plans to meet on that exact day and time. They tracked the IP address of Darlene Fisher back registered to a name and address of Kevin Montgomery at 32419 South Adams Road in Malvern, Kansas. The FBI conducted a surveillance on that address. So because of Chris Law's tip of seeing the red car in the driveway, that's what they were looking for. So while they were watching the Montgomery's home, they saw an older model red Toyota Corolla pull up in the driveway. A woman exited the car carrying a baby seat with a baby tucked inside. The Montgomery's went inside of the home. Officers went to knock on the door and the residents identified themselves as Kevin and Lisa Montgomery. There was a, a newborn baby girl with them. While Lisa was sitting on the couch watching Bobby Joe's Amber Alert on the television, one officer came in and asked, Is this your baby? Lisa responded, Yes. Would you like to see it? The officer took the baby and left. Lisa and Kevin Montgomery was arrested. Once at the police station, Lisa confessed to everything. Kevin, on the other hand, was very confused about everything. This is Lisa's story. When Lisa was welcomed into the home, she said the women didn't exchange much small talk. They got straight to the business at hand. Lisa wore large framed glasses and a sweatshirt that was way too large for her and was relieved that it was apparent that Bobby Joe didn't recognize her as Lisa, 
who they met in the spring at the dog show. The women walked through the house into the back of the home where the puppy kennel was, where at that time, Bobby Joe bent over to pick up a puppy. Then Lisa immediately acted by wrapping the rope around Bobby Joe's neck, strangling her into unconsciousness. As Bobby Joe was out, Lisa started to cut on Bobby Joe's stomach laterally. The pain may have sparked Bobby Joe awake because she began to fight some more. This was also indicated by the police because they saw blood at the bottom of Bobby Joe's shoe, which indicated that Bobby Joe was still alive when she started cutting. Also, I want to add that Bobby Joe had a chunk of dirty blonde hair clenched in her head, including the follicles when she was found by Beck. So Bobby Joe put up a good fight, but it was she was no match for Lisa. Lisa managed to loop the rope back around Bobby Joe's neck and she doubled it this time, strangling Bobby Joe, this time killing her. She then proceeded to cut Bobby Joe's abdomen, cut the baby out and wrap the baby in the towels that she brought. Then she cut the umbilical cord. No one saw Lisa when she burst out of Bobby Joe's house and fled the house, leaving Bobby Joe behind in a horrific bloody scene a scene no one should ever have seen. Lisa got in her dirty red car feeling fearless. Before she took off, she placed the bloody towels and blankets in the trunk after getting the baby seat out. She secured the baby seat into the car and laid the baby inside of the seat. She then raced towards Topeka, Kansas. Lisa was pinching the baby's umbilical cord As soon as Lisa felt far enough away from Skidmore, she pulled over and she she wiped the baby clean with baby wipes and then she clamped the umbilical cord with the clamp that came with the birthing kit. Finally, she suctioned out the mucus from the baby's mouth. Remarkably, the baby was healthy and uninjured besides a small cut above her eye. Earlier that day, Lisa told her husband she was going to Topeka to get some Christmas shopping done. At approximately 5.15 p.m., Kevin arrived home from work only to receive a call from Lisa saying she went into labor and she already given birth to the baby. She even thought to call friends and family to let them know that she she had given birth to a new baby girl and she called her Abigail Marie. Kevin and Lisa's two children drove to Topeka where they met Lisa at a Long John Silver on Southwest 6th Avenue in the parking lot. Kevin, Lisa, and their new baby drove back in Kevin's truck while Lisa's kids, who were teenagers, drove Lisa's car back. Lisa told Kevin that she gave birth at a woman's birthing center in Topeka and left. Once home, they started to settle in as a family taking pictures, videos with this stolen baby that they called Abigail. The baby was kept in a bassinet in the living room. Lisa and Kevin slept in the living room too, caring for the newborn. The following day, the couple left to run errands, taking the new baby with them. Kevin and Lisa went out to breakfast at the Whittle Shop Cafe where they allow others to pass the baby around, taking turns holding the baby. And Kevin, he was such a proud papa, 
He had a smile on his face from ear to ear. You just couldn't have gotten him out of his clouds for another month. The restaurant patrons were later interviewed by the police and recall being very shocked that the couple would have such a small newborn out on the town. And they knew the baby was brand new because Lisa couldn't help but boast about her baby being only one day old. People started calling Judy Lisa's mother, congratulating her on being a new grandmother. And Judy just laughed and said she either bought it or stole it. When Judy called Lisa, they talked about the new baby. Lisa told Judy that she found the baby on the ground. By this point, it was apparent and visible that the baby wasn't doing well. She was having a hard time opening up her eyes. Her eyelids wouldn't extend all the way open. The baby had bruises all over her face and over her legs and arms. And the more time that passed, the darker the color of the bruises became. Her tiny arms couldn't extend all the way open. And her fingers were a light hue of purple. She was clearly suffering from circulation issues. It was alarming to see that the couple was more intent on showing the baby off than actually caring for her. Lisa continued to try to nurse the baby, but she wasn't interested because Lisa was not producing milk. Shortly after they got back home from running errands and having their breakfast, Lisa and Kevin was startled when they heard two officers knocking on the door. Who was Lisa Montgomery? Well, Lisa Montgomery was born Lisa Marie Hedgeboard in Washington State on February 27, 1968, to mother Judy and father John Hedgeburn. John was an alcoholic and he was in the military. They had two children, Lisa and her little sister, Victoria. After Judy and John divorced, Judy met and married Jack Kleiner and had three more children. While in school, Lisa learned how to play the violin, the French horn, and she played the mellophone while being first chair in the school marching band. Lisa was active in the student council and the pep club, but with all of these accomplishments, Judy constantly told Lisa that she wasn't good for nothing. A friend of Lisa's said that Judy never provided unconditional love to any of her children. All of Lisa's children, when they became adults, they all consecutively said getting along with mom depended upon which way the wind was blowing. You just learn how to duck your head if it was blowing the wrong way. So February 1983, Judy came home to see her 15-year-old daughter, Lisa, engaging in sexual intercourse with her husband, Jack. It had been going on for about six years. Lisa would have been about nine or 10 years old. Lisa said that Jack had threatened her that if she didn't do it, he would do the same thing to Victoria, her little sister. And if Lisa told anyone, Jack told her that he would kill everybody in the house. And since Jack in the past was violent with everyone in the house, Lisa believed him. They were living in a trailer and Jack had built a special room onto the trailer for him and Lisa. Sometimes he and Judy would allow men to come over and molest Lisa on a regular basis to pay the bills. 
However, Judy says she didn't know anything about the rape of what was going on between Jack and Lisa. Judy took Lisa to counseling, but Lisa denied everything. But Judy said that she saw it with her own eyes and she knew that Lisa was lying. But here's a side note. I read someplace, it wasn't in the book. I read that when Judy caught Lisa and Jack, that Judy pulled a gun out on Lisa. I also read someplace in that same place that when she confronted Jack, Jack said, you cannot rape the willing. But either way, Judy divorced Jack. In 1986, Judy met a guy named Richard Billman and got married to him. 18-year-old Lisa and Richard's son, Carl, he was 25 years old. They met and married later that year. Lisa was pregnant and she was married to Carl, her stepbrother. By 1990, Lisa and Carl had four children. And after the last child was born, Carl insisted that she got her tubes tied. Lisa didn't want to get this done, but she did it anyway, thinking that she would keep Carl. Soon after the procedure, she would start thinking that she had to get pregnant to keep Carl. Carl would go to work and Lisa was to stay home and take care of the children and the house. Eventually, Lisa stopped doing her part. She just wanted to go back to her childhood hobby, and that was reading all day. And she started having affairs, sometimes leaving the house and not coming back for days at a time. So in 1993, Carl filed for divorce and moved to Arkansas. But Lisa wasn't ready to give up on her marriage, so she followed him. By the end of 1993, Lisa told Carl that she was pregnant. Although Carl knew that her tubes were tied three years before, he just thought that it didn't take. Sometimes that happened. Carl decided to work on their marriage. Lisa was able to manipulate Carl into staying married with her. And on June 11, 1994, they renewed their vows. And the pregnancy that Lisa told Carl about was never spoken of again. So in 1998, Carl moved out after about 15 more pregnancies and miscarriages. June 30th, 1998, Lisa filed for divorce in April 6, 1998. They both were granted joint custody of the four children. Lisa, however, was granted physical custody. But Carl was trying to fight that because he knew something was wrong with Lisa. In 1999, she met and married Kevin Montgomery. Soon after meeting Kevin, she tried to manipulate him into marrying her by telling him that she was pregnant. But Kevin, because he had just gotten out of a bad relationship, he was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Here's $40. I'll see you next week. Lisa took the cash, but then later lied to Kevin about having a baby as a teenager and the baby was taken by her family and was put up for adoption to later be tracked down by Lisa. Kevin was like, okay, good to know, and he, mo- and he just moved on. She was doing all of this to try to get him to propose to her, but by March 2000, that's when they married. During their marriage, Lisa saying she was pregnant was an ongoing thing, and later saying that the pregnancy was lost. While all of these pregnancies was going on, Vicky... Victoria and Judy, Victoria is Lisa's little sister, and Judy were talking to Kevin, who had blind faith in Lisa. They were telling him and other people that 
she was lying and she wasn't pregnant. They would also tell people that she had a tubal ligation in 1990. Lisa filed a court order against Judy and Victoria to shut up about her lies. They started to try to get Lisa committed, but couldn't prove that she was a harm to herself or others. So on December 17th, they took the baby to the hospital and the baby was very healthy, determined through DNA that the baby belonged to Bobby Joe and Zeb. Zeb named the baby what him and Bobby Joe agreed upon. I'm not going to say her name here because she's only 19 years old. She, she needs her privacy and no need to keep rehashing this trauma in her life, I'm sure. So Kevin never was charged. He didn't know anything about it, but people are wondering how could he not, not how could he had not known? Lisa was charged for murder in the first degree and kidnapping. Lisa was sentenced to death by lethal injection and she was put to death on January 13, 2021 at Terry Holt Prison in Indiana and was at that time the only female on federal death row. Lisa was 52 years old and at the time of the horrible murder, she was 36 years old. Bobby Joe in Zeb's house now stands empty and the baby is doing well and surrounded by everyone who loves her except her mother. She will be 19 years old in December. I wonder how does she celebrate her birthday because she has every right to not even want to celebrate her birthday or to celebrate it because I would think that I see on both ends if she did not want to celebrate her birthday okay because her mom was brutally murdered on that day and she was ripped from her from her loins however if she was to celebrate her birthday it would be a celebration because she made it out. And I'm sure that that's all that Bobby Joe would have wanted to happen for her to live. So, yeah, I just wonder if she celebrated or not. But with that being said, the story of Bobby Joe Stanton is a heart wrenching tragedy that shook the nation in 2004. Her murder the subsequent trial and the execution of Lisa Montgomery raised important questions about mental illness, domestic violence, and the protection of pregnant women. Even though this case has come to a close, it serves as a reminder of the need for better mental health resources, greater, greater awareness for domestic violence, and improved legal protection for pregnant women. The memory of Bobby Jo Stennett will continue to be honored as a symbol of the struggle for justice and the fight for safer and more compassionate society. So that was the murder of Bobby Joe Stennett. And I want to know what you think about the whole birthday thing. If the whole Lisa Montgomery, if she was mentally ill, if you think she was mentally ill and everything, don't forget to follow if you like on Instagram and Twitter at Fried Dough Podcast, along with sharing this episode. All right, until next time, I hope you keep listening. Stay safe, stay vigilant, and always, always, always trust your instincts. <laughs>